Ladies and gentlemen, we are just about ready to start our first program. So uh, the stream has begun. So while you're doing last minute things to um, find your seats and us to get organized, let's give the ACB audience from around the world another top dog hello. We are, we are, we're having a wonderful time. And what I'm going to do, because we have to be cognizant of time, if you could find seats quietly, we know that the blessing, we're so thrilled that so many guide dog teams sought that. And so we're now going to quietly find our seats and begin the program. Before I introduce our panelists and turn the program over to them, I need to tell you that one of our panelists, the president of GDUI, Penny Reader, wanted very much to be here today, but health concerns made it necessary for her doctor to tell her that she would not be able to fly. So I hope that all of you will, will think of Penny. We hope that at some point she will be listening on the stream, but she has been and will be missed. I'm now going to introduce our panel. And what I'm going to do, you all read in your programs, I'm not going to tell you what they're going to do. They're going to tell you what they're going to do. So that's, that's what we're, we're going to do. Um, our, first, our first panelist is Janine Stanley, and you all know her from the Wayfinding Devices and so many things that she's done for us here today. And Janine works for the Guide Dog Foundation. Our, our, our second panelist is Ms. Becky Davidson. Um, many of you probably remember her as Barnes Davidson, but now she's Davidson, and we're happy about that. And Becky um, represents Guiding Eyes for the Blind. And our third panelist who will be giving us some practical advice at the end of the presentations by Janine and Becky, is works for the seeing eye. Absolutely. All schools are welcome and respected. There's no question about that. Um, so what we're going to do now is each of these panelists each of these panelists will make their presentations. So please hold your questions until you are called on for them. We will have a mic runner, and because, again, this is being streamed, we ask you to be patient and wait until you get the microphone. So with no further ado from me, I am going to turn the, the microphone over to our first presenter, Janine, who will then pass the torch to Becky, who will then pass the torch to Chelsea. Okay, I'm going to take... There's a seat here right there. There's, there's a podium. Okay, I'm sorry. Other way. Other way. All righty, sorry about that, guys. Um, good morning, everyone. Yeah, so how many of you in the last year or so have seen articles about pigs flying and snakes flying? How many of you have seen those articles? Yeah. Now, with clapping, how many of you have encountered uncontrolled animals in airports? All right. Um, I wish I would say, wow, that's great, but it's not great, as we all know. And over the past few years, the Department of Transportation has been getting a lot of complaints and a lot of concerns from everyone involved in air travel. So what I'm going to talk about real quickly is the process that was undertaken this year to try to change the definition of service animal under the Air Carrier Access Act. So we have to start with a little history lesson. How many of you know which law covers you in airports and air travel when you're on the airplane? Is it the ADA or the Air Carrier? No, thank you, yay, it's the Air Carrier Access Act. Why is that important? 
It's important because that act has a different definition of service animal than the ADA. We all know the ADA, it's just dogs right now and miniature horses with some uh, exceptions for them. <laughs> Under the ADA, anything can be a service animal at this point. I'm sorry, ACA, thank you, Becky. <laughs> I'm partially caffeinated, I warn you. So anything can be a service animal. So service turkeys, kangaroos, all of these things have flown, guys. Uh, miniature pigs, the, the tiny pigs that everyone has now as pets, um, all kinds of birds. Um, of course, the things that are not allowed on airplanes under the ACAA are reptiles, rodents, and spiders, no spiders. Yeah, I don't even want, I don't even go there. <laughs> so the DOT decided to undertake what's called a negotiated regulation. And what this means is they get a bunch of the stakeholders together in plain English, and we tried to come up with a rule that makes sense and makes us all, if not happy, at least less cranky about the rule. Uh, that's the best way to put it. This process, for some unexplainable reason, is called a reg-neg, although it is a negotiated regulation process. I have no idea, so I'll refer to it as the reg-neg from now on. So what they did was they put out a call last March slash April for participants in the reg-neg. They had a certain number of participants from each category that they wanted. And uh, a lot of us applied. Um, there were many, many people who applied, many organizations. You had to be an organization. You couldn't be an individual. You had to represent a constituency. And a number of us applied to represent our people. And in the process, someone ended up getting uh, having a medical issue and not being able to participate, and they opened it back up. I lucked out, okay, uh, because there were tons of really qualified folks. Um, the Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs uh, did end up being a participant in the regneg process, representing the needs of guide and service dog handlers and also reporting back to Assistance Dogs International and the U.S. Council of Guide Dog Schools, so um, who became really big supporters of our, our whole project here. So what happens in the regneg is you have 25 people. We came to Washington for four-day meetings, uh, three to four-day meetings every month for six months. <laughs> it is intense. And we had to figure out, all right, if we want to redefine service animal, what do we want it to look like? Should it look like the ADA? Everybody in the beginning said yes. And then people began to say, but what about this thing and this thing and this thing? And the airline's biggest concern is that people will continue to fake that their animals are service, quote unquote, animals. Because the other thing that's happening under the Air Carrier Access Act that doesn't happen under the ADA is that emotional support animals are allowed to fly with their handlers under certain conditions. And also, there's a subset of service animals that's being singled out for some scrutiny, psychiatric service animals. And these are the animals that assist people with disabilities other than physical disabilities. So they might be dogs with their trained tasks, just like our dogs. They have to have a trained task to be a service animal, reliable and replicable. So you have to reliably be able to have the dog do the task, and it has to be replicable. So they have to be able to do it more than just once. These are not only dogs for PTSD, dogs for different mental health conditions, dogs for seizure, alert and response, all kinds of things that can be easily faked, let's just put it bluntly. So this was our goal was to try to, on the airline side, eliminate the fraud, because the fraud hurts all of us, granted, but it hurts their bottom line when you're charging $150 per team, uh, per animal, to get on an airplane, and yet someone can fly free if they get a letter from a doctor, which is a lot easier to get than, you know, we all know it's pretty easy to get when you don't need it, and next to impossible when you do need it. So, and so our our task was to try to figure out how to not dump people who actually really, really needed their animals to fly. We wanted to be reasonably sensitive, 
But we also had to stop the madness because we as service animal organizations came to the table and said, look, this is a danger to our animals. If they're uncontrolled animals, whether they're legitimate service animals, emotional support animals, whatever, or not, they're endangering our animals. How many of your animals have actually been attacked by animals in an airport setting? Anybody? Almost. Almost. How about almost? Uh-huh. Have you run into the flexi leads? Uh-huh. Yeah, there are a lot of us. Uh, I agree. Becky said the flexi lead should be banned, and I totally agree. Um, we're working on that. <laughs> but one of the things that we discovered was that the airlines are hesitant to put into place the safeguards that they have. You know why? Social media. They don't want to be blown up on social media. Uh, pardon the pun. That was a really bad one, Janine. Um, <laughs> I just realized that as I said it. Um, but they, they don't want negative social media experiences because they denied someone even if their animal was out of control. And we all at the table said, deny them. Fine. I don't care if the dog came from, you know, my school. Deny them. If the dog is misbehaving and the owner is not or the handler is not trying to control it, it should not fly. The airlines are hesitant to do that. The flight attendants and Candace was a huge help in us understanding this. They don't literally do not have the power to do that. They can be overridden by people further up the corporate chain. So Okay, we took that into account. Well, now what do we do? We're looking at limitations. And there were three groups that came to be as a result of this whole negotiation process. And it got ugly at times. Um, it got very contentious at times. Um, not so much between the airlines and the disability groups, but between the disability groups and each other. <laughs> Yes, we ended up with, on one side, the airlines, who would really prefer us to have all sorts of documentation and registration and blah, blah, blah before we fly. On the other end of the spectrum are the general disability rights organizations who really think things should be like they are and people should not have any restrictions when flying. That would be nice, but that's why we are where we are right now. And then in the middle were the service dog organizations and consumer groups. And this was where Penny came in with GDUI and many of the guide dog schools came in. Um, we consulted with as many people as we possibly could, even NAGDU. Um, we consulted with them as well. Um, Parnell Diggs from the NFB was part of the group. Uh, Tony Stevens from ACB was also part of the group. And Basically, what we all tried to do was make everyone realize that we are the people directly affected. Yes, the other passengers, it's a problem, certainly, but we're talking about our lives here, our eyes, our legs, our hands, our ears, and this is what is being affected by these issues and by regulating us to the point that people don't want to travel because there are too many hassles. Right now, that's the case for people with psychiatric service dogs. They're afraid to travel because they're afraid their paperwork will get messed up. And if you already have a disability that is predicated by stress, <laughs> that's not helping any. So in the end, the goal of the regneg process, and I'll be done here in a minute, the goal is or was to come up with a prototype regulation that the DOT could then put out. We were essentially doing their work for them or helping them do their work. And this regulation would then go out for public comment. We ended up stopping our process in October before the final meeting because we couldn't agree. And you know what we couldn't agree on? We came to a point where we said, all right, you know, we can put in place some sort of an indication that, yes, I am flying with a service animal, and I am stating that I have control of my service animal. It is a real service animal, and since I have signed on to this attestation, I can be held accountable for it. If I say it's a service animal, it better darn well be one in a court of law, if it comes down to that. Well, the airlines wanted us to have our disabilities medically recognized. And we all said, no, <laughs> absolutely not. 
Part of the reason for the Air Carrier Access Act was for it to take the medical model out of travel for people with disabilities and just make it something that everybody did. And we were taking giant steps backward if we had to have you prove your disability with a letter from a doctor, as we do now for the psychiatric service dog folks. So the regneck stopped. That didn't mean the process stopped. This problem has to be addressed. Again, it's a safety issue. As you see from all the articles, oh, the rules are going to change. No more flying pigs. Well, unfortunately, that's not going to happen as quickly as we thought. We were hoping for a regulation by uh, that would go out for public comment before the administration changed. That's not going to happen. Uh, unfortunately. Um, so we will be seeing a public, we'll know more in April. Right now we're not sure when we'll see that regulation that the DOT is developing on their own. They are taking input. I would encourage you to contact me. I can tell you who to talk to, who to send emails to at the DOT with your opinions. They like to hear from organizations. So Talk to GDUI, talk to NAGDU, whoever you talk to organizationally, talk to your guide dog school, and have them send a letter to the DOT, their Office of Disability, uh, have them send a letter to them. I'll, I will tell you privately who to do that to, um, because they need to know how serious an issue this is. Um, they knew about it, but they saw it in a broader disability picture. They didn't really see it. They didn't want to offend anyone or take anyone's rights away, the emotional support animal folks. They didn't want to leave anybody high and dry. Well, unfortunately, drastic times call for drastic measures, and we are at that drastic point. Um, I'm amazed I've only been on a couple airplanes with, with emotional support animals, quote unquote. And every time it's been questionable in my book, but um, doesn't mean that there aren't legitimate ones, just means I haven't seen them yet. Um, and I think most of us are probably that way. So at this point, there is a, a group being formed and being um, called together, and we're, we're just in the very early processes. And we decided to call it the Users of Service Animals and now I'm going to get this acronym wrong. The acronym is USA USA. And because I'm not caffeinated, I'm not thinking of all the letters, but it's basically service animal handlers and their supporters. So it's the people with the, with the paws on the ground who know what's going on and who know what we face. I am encouraging everyone from now on, if you're in an airport and you hear that barking or whatever, um, pull out your phone. We're going to practice the quick draw. And the quick draw is get your phone out. And I'm, I'm not going to do it because I'll trigger everyone's phone. But uh, you say the magic word, ahoy Siri, record video. Boom, your video camera is open. You move your finger above that home button and double tap, and you're recording a video. Point your camera where you hear the noise. Um, Show what's going on in airports, because I think people don't know. I really think they don't know. Post it on social media. Look, here's an animal out of control. Look, here's the encounter I had. Because people don't, they, they think, oh, yeah, we hear about this in articles, but it doesn't really happen. You know, it does happen. We all know it happens. So that's going to be our biggest weapon. I'm going to turn it over to Becky now to talk about her portion of air travel and air safety and what she and the folks at Guiding Eyes are doing in this regard. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be in Florida instead of New York. Does that work? Yeah, it's, is it, am I coming through okay? Oh, okay. Jean, Jean, Janine's sitting right next to me, but she can't hear me. That's right. No, just kidding. Um, I want to talk about the TSA in particular. Um, see, I knew that would happen. Do not throw things. Um, the most consistent thing about the TSA is what? Inconsistent. Yes, indeedy do. Um, yeah, actually, and, and this is, the, I want to talk about what is and is not, um, are or are not our rights. 
Our responsibilities are always the same, no matter what situation we're in. We are expected and are responsible for keeping our dogs under control. You know the deal, right? Whether it's in the airport, going through screening, um, or any place else that we are. We have the right to be have our dogs accompany us no matter where. We have the responsibility to keep them under control and, and all of that. However, <clears throat> the TSA doesn't always make it easy. Um, Janine and I have been participating for a number of years um, with the TSA in a, a forum that they hold each fall. They haven't had any phone conferences lately, or at least I haven't gotten contacted for one. And the intent of this is it's the, it's the uh, disability and medical uh, disability and medical equipment and multicultural group. So it's all you know. Our stuff is a little bit watered down because we're sharing it with a, a, a good and important group, but not necessarily a related group. So, but the idea was to get together, talk about what the TSA is or isn't doing, talk about what has to happen, what their policies are, and so on. And their policies are pretty basic. They're posted on the website, tsa.gov, um, and basically what their policy for service dog handlers is is that they, they cannot require us to remove our dog's equipment. They cannot separate us from our dog. They cannot take the leash and then say, here, you go through the body scanner, we'll hold your dog. Uh-uh, not supposed to happen. Um, the problem is that the agents that are on the ground, the screeners that are on the ground, have not do not appear to have been properly trained. Now, Janine and I both participated in training for something called a PSS, which is a passenger support specialist. Um, and she and I both and a number of other service dog handlers from different organizations uh, participated in training these specialists who are at every airport um, to assist, in, particularly in cases where there are problems with uh, screening. And if you, if you encounter a problem with screening, then you know you ask to speak to a PSS. Now I have not gotten to that point yet. I've gotten really close a couple times, um, and my husband has gotten really close a couple times. But we've managed to negotiate our way through um, by getting a supervisor. Um, but the other the other thing that TSA has is created is something called TSA Cares, and it's a phone number that you can call if you need to file a complaint about something that happened during the screening process. You can also call 72 hours in advance and ask to have a passenger support specialist meet you and accompany you through the screening process. Now, unfortunately, when I tried this, they didn't show up, which is okay because I'm used to going through the screening process. I just wanted to see if it worked. Unfortunately, at least in at LaGuardia, where nothing works anyway, <laughs> um, it didn't work. So, um, so when you approach the TSA screening um, and you, you stop and, and put your stuff on the belt. You may choose to put your dog's harness on there or not. That's entirely up to you. You may choose to have gotten a, there are a number of them out there now. They're nylon leashes that, that work sort of like a, a slip collar and there's no metal on it. So you can still have your dog on a leash and take all the metal off your dog and go through without your dog ringing the alarm. I did that once. My problem is I go through with so much, you know, stuff um, that doing one more thing just seems like a little ridiculous because they have to, they're going to pat my dog down, okay? If, the, if, um, if your dog does alarm, yeah, they are going to pat your dog down. Um, if it doesn't, if you and your dog go through un, unbeeped, then, you know, God bless you. <laughs> Be on your way. Um, good for you. Um, but what happens is once you're ready to go through the metal detector, um, and different schools um, may suggest different ways of doing it, but the general rule seems to be to have to make a long leash, have the dog sit at your, at your side, um, hold the loop of the leash behind your back, and I usually ask the person on the other side of the metal detector to make sure that I'm in the middle because if you touch one side or the other, you're going to ring it. Okay, you come through and then you call your dog through. Okay, after you've cleared, you call your dog through. They will then 
there will be somewhat of a discussion. Um, who Who's going to pat the dog? I ain't touching that dog. Um, my personal favorite, this happened to Lucas. It's happened to me several times, and it's happened to other people I know, but I can't help telling the story. I came through with Flyer, a male black lab. The agent on the other side of the scanner said, oh, is that a male or a female? And I, thinking they were making nice conversations, said, oh, it's a male. And he's, the next thing I hear is an announcement, we need a male assist at checkpoint. <laughs> The sad truth is that what I should have said, well, it's neither one. But I didn't. I, I was just being pleasant and, uh, you know. Um, but we have encountered more than a few TSA agents who are afraid of or will not touch our dogs. Um, my husband came through one day, and the TSA agent, who was probably 20 feet away looking at our, our laptops and stuff, said, keep that dog away from me. And I'm like, could you be more unprofessional? And actually, the supervisor was there and yelled at him, which was nice. I tried not to applaud. I tried to just mind my own business and pick up my stuff and go bye-bye. But um, those kinds of things still happen. These are public servants. They are, we have the right to expect them to do their job, regardless of what they personally like or don't like. They wear gloves. It's not like they're going to be contaminated. Um, so now once in a while when you come through and you don't um, and you don't ring beep the alarm and then your dog comes through they may say well you're you know you alarmed you have to be screened now most of the time that's not the case and a supervisor will say um, you know no it's just the dog just the dog However, they do have random screening, and it can happen that you will your number will come up, at which point you should run right out and buy a lottery ticket. Um, but occasionally you will have to endure a pat-down because it's a random screening process. So uh, there's a couple things you can do that, that can help, and maybe Chelsea's going to address this. Um, you can... Go, in, go online and fill out the pre-check information. And, and what actually is interesting is happening to Ron and me, and maybe because they know us at like Westchester Airport, is that we are often pre-checked without necessarily expecting to be. For which I say, thank you, Lord. Um, but when we came through Westchester on, what morning was that, Thursday, the pre-check line wasn't open anyway. So they didn't make us take our shoes off, but we had to unpack the laptops and do all of that. So, you know, again, it's consistently inconsistent. Um, Another thing that I want to talk a little bit about, and then I'm going to turn this over to Chelsea, um, is one of the things that seems to be happening more and more is when we go to the airport and we ask for a meet and assist or an escort, they show up with a wheelchair. And they insist that we sit in a wheelchair. We were trying to get on a flight from JFK, and um, this woman would not escort us. She said, you must sit in the wheelchair. Well, there were two of us, and we weren't both going to sit in it. And and secondly, um, you can't be required to do that, and it is dangerous for your dog. If you're in a wheelchair, it's dangerous for your dog. Now, one time I just said, fine, if you want to bring that wheelchair with you, that's your problem. You can wheel an empty wheelchair, or I can put my luggage in it. How's that for him? You cannot be required to sit in a wheelchair. I don't care if they tell you that, oh, well, it'd be so much easier. Well, that's that's not my problem. I can walk fine. My dog can walk fine. I'm either going to follow you or I'll take your elbow. But you are not putting me in a wheelchair. Do not especially with a guide dog, do not allow yourself to be forced to do that. Um, it's happening way too often, and the other problem that's happening with it, and I, I, don't, well, I, don't, I don't intend to be rude or inconsiderate, but the people who are giving you these directions have a very limited knowledge of English. Aha, aha. And, and you know, trying to make them understand um, is just not, it's just... It's very, very difficult. Um, So the TSA, again, the biggest problem is that you can expect not to be treated consistently from airport to airport. 
Um, the other thing I want to touch on very briefly, and then I am going to hand this over to Chelsea, is more and more airports are now getting relief areas inside the secured areas for our service dogs. Um, we, used, we used the one in Louisville last summer. We used one in Minneapolis last summer. The problem is nobody knows where they are. Um, so if you're flying and you know you're going through a city that you might want to have that opportunity, um, you might want to contact the airport before you go and ask them if they know where it is. They may, they may not, or they just may make something up. You never know. So um, we're going to be opening this up for questions for all three of us. So I'm going to turn this over to Chelsea and let her talk about being ready to fly, and, uh, and then we'll open it up for questions. Chelsea? Good morning, everybody. Becky and Janine covered it. I'm done. Um, so it's, uh, Debbie actually asked me this morning um, to address a question that was asked at the um, presentation yesterday about emergency airline travel, um, which I unfortunately missed. But um, I, the question was asked about um, specifically United Airlines um, basic economy seating, which I was not aware of, but I am now. Um, and the, basically United's economy seating, um, basic economy seating is the back of the bus and the cheap seats. And um, they've put some extra restrictions on that class of service. Um, and, and so the question was asked yesterday, you know, how do these things pertain to those of us that travel with, with service dogs? Um, and one of one of the things that would happen to a person if they purchase this class of service is you don't get a seat assignment until the basically until you check in day of travel. So you know there are the middle seats in the back basically, and um, so if you have a service dog, we all know that that doesn't always work, right? being way in the back, being in the middle, um, you know, being in the aisle doesn't always work. Um, some of us prefer bulkhead, you know, so that isn't always going to work. And United's response to that when, because <clears throat> Ginger actually was listening to the streaming yesterday, Ginger Butch, and so she approached United Airlines um, about the question, and their response was um, a reasonable accommodation was that um, basically you can you can pretty much have the seat that's going to work best for you, um, and if you are traveling with somebody else, um, a spouse, a, you know, a, a parent, a friend, whatever, um, you can ask that that person be seated with you as well. Okay, um, it's it's considered a reasonable accommodation. Um, the next thing that they restrict is carry-on luggage. Um, normally, you can have one personal item, which is you know a purse, backpack, laptop bag, something small, and um, a carry-on bag. So the rollerboard bags that you know fit their airline-specific um, measurement requirements to go up in the overhead. Okay, so that's that's for normal flying. With this United's economy cheap seat tickets, um, you are restricted to one small personal item. So a backpack, um, a purse, that kind of stuff. Um, you are not allowed the, the rollerboard carry-on because that personal item must fit up underneath the seat in front of you or you are not allowed to put stuff up in the overhead. So the question was asked, well, what about a service dog? Um, because for folks who do not prefer to sit in the bulkhead, your dog goes up underneath the seat in front of you, thus leaving no space for that personal item. So United said that the um, reasonable accommodation is that um, you still can't have two carry-ons. You still can't have that bigger rollerboard bag. You still are restricted to one personal item, 
but it can go up in the overhead if you have a service dog, okay? Um, basic uh, people that purchase this basic economy seating are not eligible for upgrades, okay? So if you are a frequent flyer with United um, and you purchase one of these back of the bus cheap seat tickets, you are not, even if you have status, even if you have points, whatever, you are not eligible for upgrades, okay? Um, United said that a reasonable accommodation is if you do need bulkhead or prefer bulkhead, that's a reasonable request. Because um, quite often on flights these days, that bulkhead seat is considered a premium seat, um, even in the coach cabin, okay? Um, because quite often it, well, they say anyways, it has more space, okay? Not, not always, but, but sometimes it does. It depends on the airline, it depends on the plane, it, it depends on a lot of things. So, but a reasonable accommodation is if you need or prefer that bulkhead seat, um, that, that is a reasonable accommodation, okay? Um, you still will not be eligible to upgrade to first class or anything like that. Okay, even if you have the status and all that kind of stuff. Um, for, again, the cheap seat, basic, you know, back of the bus tickets, um, passengers that purchase that ticket will automatically be put in the last boarding group. Okay, so you get to board last, um, unless you are a person with a disability and you can request um, uh, pre-boarding and, and you know, do the normal process like you would normally do, um, you know, to, to board, you know, before everybody else and get settled and all that kind of stuff. So those were the four points that um, Ginger talked to United Airlines about. Uh, and so that was United Airlines response. So there you go. Um, and I don't really have much of anything else to add at this point. Um, I think we can open it up for questions, and and um, I I would encourage. Um, Becky talked about it a little bit. I I would encourage those of you who travel regularly, um, really, 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 to consider the TSA pre-check. Um, it it will even if you're not you don't go through the process. It will come up occasionally on your ticket as pre-check especially if you travel with one specific airline frequently. Um, you, you become a frequent flyer with them and all that kind of stuff. You will get it more often than just your average traveler would. But if you go through TSA's pre-check process, um, actually fill out the paperwork, do the interview, pay them their money, uh, you will get TSA pre-check 99.8% of the time every once in a while um, when you print out your boarding pass or, or put it on your phone or whatever even if you're TSA pre-check you've, you've done all the stuff it will come up every once in a while that you don't get it um, I don't know why but there you go um, it's that whole consistent inconsistent thing again um, but I would say 99.8 0.9% of the time, if you go through the process, you will get that TSA pre-check, and it really does make life a lot easier. You don't have to take off shoes. You don't have to take liquids out of your bag. Um, generally, you don't have to take laptops and, and technology out of your bag. Um, I've noticed that they tend to be a little more lax about the dog. Um, not always, but... You know, they, they tend to, to not have such an issue with, oh, my gosh, the dog's harness alarmed. What the heck do we do? Um, because I think the folks that are manning those TSA pre-check lines um, tend to be, have a little more experience. They seem to. Um, so I, I would highly recommend it. Um, it is, if, if you want to do the whole, if you travel to Canada quite a bit, um, you can, it's, hundred dollars and it's good for five years um, now if you don't travel to Canada you just travel around the United States um, and all you need is pre-check you know around around the states uh, 
what is it, Janine, is it 80? 85, I think. So you save, you save yourself, you know, 15 bucks. So, um, but it, it really, it really is worth it. So, um, and another thing I, I have found out too is a lot of airlines, I, I touched on this before, a lot of airlines, American, United, um, I don't know if Delta does it or not, um, have what they call premium coach seating. So it's usually the first, oh, three, four, five, six rows of coach. Um, tend to have a little more leg room, um, anywhere from three to six inches more of leg room. And when you purchase a ticket, it'll say, do you want to purchase premium you know, seating um, for, for a fee? Uh, it's anywhere in the 15 to $30 range, depending on the flight and I, I don't know, their weird computer, I don't know. I don't know what it, what it depends on. But, um, and as a person with a service dog, um, if you call your airlines, American United, Delta, whoever it is, if you call their disability um, services folks, you can get that fee waived. Okay, so you don't you can you can request one of those seats. You can say I'm traveling with a service dog. You know I need that bulkhead row. I you know have a dog. I need you know that extra leg room, whatever. And they will waive that fee for that seat. Um, but you have to call whatever airlines you know disability services type folks. Otherwise, um, when you check in online, when you go to the gate, those kinds of things, um, they can't or always won't, you know, give you those seats, okay? So, there you go. That is what I have found out. All right. Um, thanks. Let's give Chelsea a hand, too. Great information. While we're getting the volunteer mic runner going, I am going to ask any of these three or all of them to address this issue that I'm sure you've all come up with. First of all, I want to say that I don't want folks who use wheelchairs to get any less service than they get now. Absolutely not. But I definitely want the same caliber of service. The last three times I flew, if I weren't assertive, if I hadn't asked the, the person who escorted me to the gate to describe to me where the counter was, I would not have been helped. Um, I went up there and, oh, Mrs. Grubb, we forgot all about you. Welcome aboard. And so, and in one incident, this very nice person was going to all the folks in wheelchairs and talking to them and reassuring them. And there I sit with my dog at my feet and no one talks to me. So my question for these three ladies, and I'm sure all of you have it too, is what can we do to educate that just because we do not need, require a wheelchair, we require a level of service that is equal to that service given to people in chairs? Thank you. So anybody who wants to address that, and as soon as this has been addressed, then we'll open the floor for any other questions you may have. Well, hi, this is Becky. Um, we had an interesting thing happen at Westchester Airport the other day, too. Um, all of a sudden, we were told that they were boarding our flight. It was on the screen, but it wasn't announced. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we really, Debbie's right. We have to be assertive. I totally agree. When I was talking about wheelchairs, wheelchairs are for people who need them, not for us. They have the right to expect the quality service. We have the same right to expect um, and to demand. And one, one way to deal with it, and it's not necessarily always the easiest, but one way to deal with it is to try to get an opportunity to speak to your local airport management about this issue. Um, sometimes the, 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 the meet and assist people are working for the airport. Sometimes they work for the airline. Um, I've had better help from fellow passengers many times. Um, and I think most of you have too, but, but we have every right to demand e equal service um, as just because our disability is different. Um, and, you know, I think there are other areas of our lives where we run into this as well. People don't 
understand blindness. They can see somebody in a wheelchair and know exactly what to do. They see a blind person and they're like, oh, run! So, uh, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, all they really have to do is say, how can I help you? But um, the, the language barrier comes into play here too. When I, when I fly, um, I always, when, I've, when I'm being escorted to the gate, I always ask, tell me where the counter is and seat me as near to it as you possibly can. And, um, and then I just listen to, to hear where people are going up to talk. But if I even sense, because what happens, the other thing that happens that's really annoying is that we may want to and be expected to pre-board, but if that announcement goes up and it's on a screen, we don't know it, that's one thing. But even when the announcement does get verbally presented, everybody else is up there rushing the counter, and there we are trying to make our way through a crowd. So it's, it's, a, it's a tricky situation that really does need to be addressed. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think probably dealing with the airports is a starting point. I think making our concerns public in, in, in as many ways as we can is also uh, a very important way to deal with this. Janine, do you want to? So Charlie, maybe the advocacy committee of GDUI needs to uh, look at this issue too. <laughs> and I have a couple tips to, to add on to what Becky was saying. And these are kind of those, um, like Candace was saying, be your own best advocate. Um, when you get to the gate, if the person that escorted you there doesn't have the language skills or whatever to give you that information, and you get one of those fellow passengers, oh, isn't that a beautiful dog? And they start the dog conversation. That's your cue to say, yeah, he is. You know, could you tell me where these things are? And uh, yeah, I mean, and yeah, and it works. I mean, you get great conversations usually, and people are very helpful. Um, also, listen to what's around you. Listen to, you know, usually there is a machine back there that they do things with at the counter that you can sometimes hear. Again, yep, again, ask your fellow passengers. You can sometimes hear, sit near the boarding door if you can. Many of the airlines, like Southwest, has an area, and I think they put a big heart up on the wall <laughs> and but those are the seats for usually pre-boarding or or special passengers or whatever and I will tell you pre-board 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 now there are downsides to pre-boarding too you're going to be marked oh that's the person with the disability and assistance may be provided whether you want it or not however what pre-boarding gives you is the opportunity to claim that seat get your dog settled in change the seat if you need to and then the other passengers who come in they are holding up the works if they have a problem with it not you and I will throw it to Chelsea um, I really don't have a whole lot to add except it's really important to try to stay as calm and diplomatic as possible. <clears throat> I know it's not always easy. <laughs> Coming out here on, on Thursday, I had checked in online. I had chosen my seat for you know what I know works for me and what works for my dog. I got to the gate, I checked in, I said, can I pre-board? They said, absolutely. And I went and sat down. They called for pre-boards, I went up to the gate, and as I was going to hand her my phone for her to check me in, she said, oh, I got you a different seat. And I went, crap. I know where this is going. But I thought, all right, we'll see what happens. So I got on the plane, and I, I, I know some people prefer it. I don't. I do not like the bulkhead. Um, I, I have, I have a really. She's not a very weight-wise a very big dog, but she's very long. And that bulkhead, um, she just, she's just too long. She will not curl up. She's not a curler. Um, you know, she, she's, she's a sprawler. And so she's just too long. Her paws and her nose stick out in the aisle. Um, so I like, I like a window seat, not in the bulkhead. And that's what I had chosen. 
And um, I got on the plane, and lo and behold, it was it was the bulkhead, and it was a it was I was on a seven sixty seven, so it was two three and two, so it was a two side, so it was even smaller, and and she just she just doesn't fit. And um, luckily, I had flight attendants who were fantastic. Um, I got on. I said, "This isn't going to work." And she said, "All right, go back to your your original seat. We'll fix it." So. I mean, it doesn't always happen that way, but, you know, I, I was polite about it. You know, I just said, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, I understand what she was trying to do. She was, you know, she thought she was helping me. Would really prefer if you would ask first. But <clears throat> anyways, there you go. And, uh, but, you know, I was polite about it. I said, oh, you know, this, is, this really just isn't going to work. I actually showed her. And she said, oh, my gosh, your dog really is really long. And I'm like, yes, yes, she is. She's my dog. I know this, but I didn't say that. Um, and, um, you know, so she, like I said, they said, you know, go back to your original seat. You know, we'll fix it. So trying to stay as, as calm and as, as level-headed and as diplomatic as possible really does help. I know it's difficult sometimes when, you know, people are trying to shove you in wheelchairs and, you know, tell you you have to sit here. But um, it it really will, it really does get you further than, you know, getting upset does. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, do we have a mic runner? I just wanted to add one quick thing. Um, Chelsea reminded me of this. Often the flight attendant is your best friend. Um, and they don't, especially if you get one who's a dog lover, and they don't want to see your dog being uncomfortable. And there's almost always at least and one. There's always, yeah, there's almost always at, at, at least one like that. So, you know, again, try to be, keep your dignity intact, which is a little difficult at times. But also, if, if the flight attendant is your last resort, that might be your victory as well. Hello. Test. John, I think this one is testing. This one doesn't seem to be working. It, it was. Is it working it was. now? Yes, there you go. All right. Um, we're only going to have one question per person, and if you must make a comment, please make it short. All right, this is Jean Shiner, and I just want to be clear because people might not know a flexi leash, since you want to do something about it, that's the retractable leash, is that right? Yes. yes. Some people were asking, so I thought I'd yep. ask. Yep, let me. The flexi leash, some of us get them at our guide dog schools. It's a leash that people use to exercise their dogs. It can be retracted. There we go. It can be retracted, and a lot of people put their pets on them, and they don't realize there's a little button that can lock that leash or unlock it, and it becomes a giant tripping hazard for people. Um, the question I have is, I I know there you know there is a question with you know an issue with uh, fake dogs and all things like that. Um, we've seen them everywhere, but. I, I know um, all of the schools give us, you know, ID cards with our dogs to take with us and carry. Is They ask us for ID when we go to the airport, when we check in for humans, for ourselves. Uh, what about the issue of asking at that point for your dog ID just to let them know that they really are a bona fide service animal? See, this is Becky. The ADA is, is very clear, and it, it specifically states that you cannot be required to show ID. That is akin to being required to prove you have a disability, and you cannot do you cannot be required to do that. Now, some pe people may choose to show an ID if they think it will help in a situation, and that's their decision. But it cannot be required. And another, this is Janine, and I'll chime in. Another part of the issue and why ID in and of itself is not going to solve the problem, although it sounds like a wonderful idea to many people, part of the issue is you can go online now and buy a lovely-looking ID, or you can make one yourself. Becky. And 
Yep, and that's part of the big issue right now and why ID has almost become invalid in terms of being used to, to you know, identify you and credify you and all. Credify, is that a word? That's a new word! I need one more chocolate bar, people. <laughs> Janine, Janine, can you hear me? It's, yeah. Janine, it, I have a mic. Janine, it's Sue Crawford. Um, and I just would like to clarify, because I know the laws are really, really complex, but for the airlines, it's the Air Carrier Access Act and not the ADA. And under the current Air Carrier Access Act, they may ask anyone who has a service animal for identification. They have special requirements in addition to that for individuals who have psychiatric service animals. But anyone with a service animal for the past I don't know, six, eight years, they can already ask for identification. So it's good to have yeah. that um, yeah. that identification card from the guide dog school. Right, and Sue, let me clarify that because that is true to a point. However, they can only ask you for that identification if they cannot substantiate that the animal is a service animal by noting the presence of, let's see if we can, we can quote this, uh, tag, harness, tags or other identification licenses or ID. So basically they have to be watching you and looking at you first and if they can't figure out whether that's a service animal or not, i.e. you know an animal with no harness on, maybe an animal at the end of a flexi leash, then and only then can they ask you to show identification, to verify, and they, well, first of all they can ask you the two questions that they can ask under the ADA. Is that a service animal? How has that animal been trained to help with your disability? Then if they're still not sure about that, they can ask you for more identification. But that's not the go-to step first. So yeah, they can technically do it, but they need to be, uh, they have to prove a lot of things before they go there. I hope that makes sense. Hi, it's, it's Charlie Crawford. Hello, this thing working? Yeah. Okay, okay. all right. Um, I want to say that, for those of you that don't know, I'm the chair of the Advocacy Committee for Guide Dog Users Incorporated. And um, my question is basically directed at all three of you, but um, primarily Janine because of your participation on the RegNeg um, negotiating uh, group. And I know that we almost reached a, a, a solution before it all fell apart. And I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not you have any speculation. Feel free to say, I don't know, if you don't know. But if you do know, I pray God you tell us because it's important that we know what the ultimate proposal will be likely from the Department of Transportation so we can organize. <laughs> That's the, whoops. That's the million dollar question, Charlie. I wish I did know. Um, I did have a meeting with DOT on Tuesday of this past week and they basically were asking a lot of questions about our almost proposal and what the almost proposal was was to have some sort of a check-in at some point in the process that made sense to as many parties as we could to say yes I am flying with a service dog and one of the things we advocated for whether that was a form that you signed at the airport when you checked in and said yes I'm certifying that this is my service dog it's been trained and I am responsible for it whether it was something during the ticket process whatever one of the big things that we are pushing is that that process not automatically sign us up for assistance we don't want like the wheelchair uh, so we all we wanted to do is say yes we have a service animal that will be on this flight that's all we want um, we're hoping DOT is what they're doing is putting together the ideas from our almost proposal and taking them up the line they can craft a beautiful regulation and it can get tossed out by the new administration's people way above the people writing the reg so just know that in advance my name is Marie and I am wanting to let you all know, you guys did a great presentation today. Um, one of the experiences that I had most recently, which we didn't mention, was those carts that um, they have around the airport now. And I was almost 
the night to get on the cart, which was going to take me to another area of the airport because of my dog, and only because I was able to assert myself and make it happen um, nicely as best I could. Um, I would have missed my plane. It was a late plane at night, and I was traveling from another state, and I would have missed my plane, obviously, and there would have been a lot of complications getting home the next day. So I just wanted to mention about these carts um, and know that a lot of people in some of the airports aren't as educated as we talked about the wheelchair similar situations that we've had so I just wanted to mention it. thank I, you for I, that information can I can I address that because quickly I, okay I had an issue with the, with the cart you have to be careful on those carts because they're not necessarily there's not necessarily room for your dog they insisted I ride on the back with my dog and I had to hold my dog in with my knees and then they made me put a seatbelt on um, but yeah, be very careful with those carts. You're right. You, you you need to be allowed to use them, but be be aware that you need to make sure you find the safest seating for both you and your dog. Let's give our panelists a rousing hand of applause. Thank you so much, Janine, Becky, and Chelsea. Thank you.